everyone and welcome. My name is Rachel. And I'm Andrew. And we are Picture the Scene podcast, a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, with Andrew mainly focusing on the lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and me taking on some of the bigger, well-known cases from time to time. If you happen to like what you hear, then please do spread the word to your friends and family about us. Also, please follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. And wherever you listen, if you have the capability, then why not give us a rating and review as well? These ratings and reviews mean so much to us, not only because we love hearing from our wonderful listeners, but it encourages other listeners to go find us and give us a try. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And if you like us that much, so you want to support us, you can now do so for less than the cost of a small Americano on Patreon. With our sign-up starting from as little as £1, we release bonus content every month, and we also take recommendations from our Patreon subscribers. Your support for our little pod really does mean the world to us, so thank you to each and every one of you. And finally, for now, the links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or by visiting patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. And before we get into it today, as we are a true crime podcast, we must warn you that listener caution is always advised. Today is no different because we are dealing with the emotional topic of baby and infant death. So, Andrew, before we get into it, how have you been since we last recorded? I've been good, thank you, Rachel. I've been sparkling. I'm not really looking forward to this, but yeah, it should be interesting. I don't really know the case, so I'm intrigued to learn more about it. But I've been good, thank you. Sparkling, looking forward to this. What about yourself? Yeah, all good here. Okay, so what's left for me to do now is just to ask, are you ready for some true crime, Andrew? I am, Rach. Let's do this. Today, I'm taking you to Hereford, a rural town in Herefordshire in England, with a population of 53,112 at the last census in 2021. It's the 4th of January, 1990, and the weather is noticeably warmer for a winter's day, reaching temperatures of 12 degrees Celsius by mid-morning, which is around 54 degrees Fahrenheit. When a baby girl named Lucy was born to parents John, aged 44, and Susan, aged 29. Whilst of course it was happy news for the first-time parents, baby Lucy's birth on the 4th of January was quite a traumatic one, which would later lead her to study and qualify in nursing by the summer of 2011, in an effort to help others the way the nurses and doctors had once helped her on that mild January morning. Fast forward 28 years after her birth, and it's 6am on a warm and clear blue morning, the 3rd of July in 2018 to be exact, when the same girl, now aged 28 years and 181 days, was led away from her semi-detached home in Chester into an unmarked police car in handcuffs. It will go on to be the first of three arrests for Nurse Lucy Letby, the second being in June 2019, and for the third and final time, November 2020, when she was eventually charged with 22 counts of murder and attempted murder of small, helpless, premature and newborn babies. In total, Letby was accused of murdering seven infants and the attempted murder of a further 10 infants over the course of 13 months. We now know Lucy Letby to be one of the most prolific child murderers in modern British history. Found guilty of murdering seven babies and the attempted murder of six more on Friday the 18th of August 2023. The jury returned not guilty verdicts on two counts of attempted murder and they were unable to reach verdicts on six further attempted murder charges, details of which we'll also be covering 
For those following the case closely throughout the 10 months at trial, and then the 110 hours of jury deliberations, these dates, the victims, and the details will likely be forever etched in your memory. For today's episode, we wanted to provide a brief overview of each of the victims and the crimes Nurse Lucy Letby was accused of, perhaps for anyone who didn't follow the case in its entirety. Now, given the limited amount of time we have to share the information, if you want to dive further into the case, I'd highly recommend you go and listen to the trial of Lucy Letby from the Mail Plus. There are, as at recording this episode today, 63 episodes available to listen to, which cover the entire trial and jury deliberations, and also some expert witness testaments and various other interviews. Each episode lasts for approximately 25 minutes, and they're packed full of information. So that's The Trial of Lucy Letby, and it's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, so back to our episode today. Prior to her arrest in July 2016, Nurse Lucy Letby was known as a friendly, caring, and eager-to-please nurse with an active social life, attending the gym and salsa dance classes regularly, enjoying going out with friends, and taking holidays with both her parents and close friends each year. Sounds just like your typical 20-something-year-old, don't you think, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, like everyone up and down the country. And following her arrest, during the initial police search of her home, they took photos of a notice board in her kitchen, which was covered in pictures and letters, including one drawn by her godson, reading Number One Godmother awarded to Lucy Letby. On her unmade bed, they discovered cuddly toys, including Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore. Picture art was hung on the wall saying, Leave sparkles wherever you go. And there was a duvet cover with sweet dreams and fairy lights that adorned her bed. A drawer in the living room was found to contain various documents and medical notes for her two cats, Tigger and Smudge, along with a Mother's Day card which they had sent her just months earlier. The cats, they sent her a Mother's Day card? Yes, yes they did, indeed. She's, I'm really struggling here already, Rachel, because I know who she is. And mm. the, per- the person you're describing sounds like quite a nice person. Um but yeah, so let, let's let's carry on with this. Letby would actually weep in court as she saw reminders of her childlike home life. And on the surface, she was just an ordinary woman, it seemed. A little beige, as the detective chief inspector, Nicola Evans, would go on to describe her during a later interview with the press. So how could this plain, average, normal girl be capable of multiple murders and attempted murders? Well, this is the question that may never be answered but she was indeed found guilty of the murder of seven babies and attempted murder of further six by a jury of 11 on Friday the 18th of August. As I have already suggested, we're going to briefly cover each of her known victims who were referenced in the trial. It's worth noting that due to the very sensitive nature and high complexity of this case, none of the babies or the families involved have been named, so we'll be referring to them as baby A through to baby Q, 17 babies in total. This trial also covers just a small part, only 13 months, of Letby's career as a nurse. And Operation Hummingbird, the official investigation into the crimes committed by Lucy Letby, is unlikely to close until review of all of her patients in care over the five years she practiced. That's expected to be around 4,000 infants and children are complete. Well, I should probably note as well, she, she did a stint in Liverpool Women's and Children's Hospital, so there could be some adult patients in the mix as well. Do these sort of criminals, would they do children and adults or just like one type? Sorry, what do you mean? Like, would they 
Would she only, yeah, would she only want to harm children or would it not matter as long as it's somebody in her care? You know, like, it, it was just during the trial, it just kept on coming out that she just only wanted to work with the sickest babies. She did, like, course after course after course to educate herself on working with tiny premature babies specifically so that she could, like, climb up the ranks in the neonatal unit. Yeah, I think I, I could take a guess at it. It was to target babies and children, you know, because they were unable to speak and defend themselves and challenge what's going on, aren't they? Yeah. So today I'll be taking you through the events that unfolded in the neonatal unit of the Countess of Chester Hospital over a 13-month period from June 2015 to June 2016, where Lucy Letby worked as a neonatal nurse. Despite attempts by some of her colleagues to raise the alarm throughout this period, Nurse Sletby was left to attack and harm patients until what is now known from the court case as a tipping point at the end of June 2016, when she was eventually removed from the unit. Just 382 days separate the death of the first baby and the attempted murder of the last. Baby A, a baby boy, was born six weeks early along with his twin sister, Baby B and was only days old and healthy when Letby took over his care on a night shift on the 8th of June, 2015. 30 minutes later, he would deteriorate rapidly, as the medical notes shared during trial confirmed, and he died within just 90 minutes of Letby coming on duty. Letby would later be found guilty of baby A's murder via IV air embolism. Now, an air embolism is a bubble of air inserted via an IV intravenous strip that then becomes trapped in a blood vessel and blocks it. Air embolisms are known to cause serious and potentially fatal conditions, such as a stroke or a heart attack. On the 11th of June, Baby B would also be injected with air by Letby, about 28 hours after her twin brother had died. Baby B actually survived the attack after being resuscitated by doctors. However, tests would later confirm that she too had a gas-filled bowel, something which would be replicated in several babies over the course of the following year. Letby was found guilty of the attempted murder of Baby B, also by IV air embolism. Baby C, a baby boy, was born seven weeks early and weighed just one pound 12 ounces. That's about 800 grams, Andrew. But despite his tiny body, he was in good health. Letby was seen standing over his monitor as his alarm sounded on the evening of the 14th of June, 2015. She was not his designated nurse. Baby C died as a result of air being injected into his stomach Letby was found guilty of Baby C's murder by air inserted into the stomach and not the bloodstream, as with Baby A and Baby B. Baby D, a baby girl, was the only baby in this case which was not born prematurely, who weighed a healthy 6 pounds and 14 ounces. So that's about 2.7 kilograms, which really puts into context like Baby C's weight at 800 grams, less than a bag of sugar. Just days after Baby D's birth, Letby, who was not Baby D's designated nurse, injected air into Baby D's bloodstream, which caused her to collapse three times in the early hours of the 22nd of June, 2015. Her third collapse would prove fatal. Those attending her resuscitation noted the discoloration on Baby D's skin, again something which would be replicated in several babies over the course of the following year. Let B was found guilty of Baby D's murder by IV air embolism. By the 2nd of July, three babies had died and one had crashed unexpectedly, which was highly unusual for the hospital. So Dr. Stephen Breary, the head consultant on the neonatal unit, carried out a review of the three deaths. Alison Kelly, the director of nursing and deputy chief executive at the time, 
was informed that Letby was the only nurse on shift for each of the deaths. However, no further action was taken and Letby remained on the unit. Baby E, a baby boy, was born seven weeks early, along with his twin brother, Baby F, and weighed less than three pounds, which he weighed about 1.4 kilos. Baby E's mother interrupted Letby, attempting to murder the newborn after she arrived on the unit with his milk during the evening of the 4th of August 2015. But Baby E went on to die following a fatal bleed, which was believed to have been the result of Letby interfering with his nasogastric tube. Letby was found guilty of murdering Baby E by IV air embolism and bleeding from the trauma. Baby F, a baby boy and twin brother of Baby E, is believed to have been poisoned by insulin less than 24 hours after his twin brother was murdered on the 5th of August. A blood sample taken following his collapse confirmed extremely high levels of insulin and very low C-peptide levels, proof he had been injected with insulin. But this information was not shared with his parents at the time of his collapse. Letby was found guilty of the attempted murder of Baby F by insulin poisoning. So we're on, we're on Baby F now, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. So... That's six. Mm. Like, it shouldn't have got past. You could understand maybe getting past baby A because it's a one-off, but six? Like, I don't understand, especially when they already have suspicions. But one doctor did at Ooh. least, and, and a mother caught one. Like, how do you get past six? You, you mentioned up to baby Q, which I'm not looking forward to hearing all those letters in the alphabet, but... But that's six already. In how in what space of time? Um, so this is this is up to fifth of August, so it started in June. Um, so you know, two so and a bit months. Two and a bit months, six babies yeah. in two and a bit months. Right. And just just wanted to kind of um correct you on one point. When you say especially when there were suspicions, Dr. Brewery did not point the finger, he just noted that one nurse was on duty and it was more an observation towards, you know, let's keep an eye on things. Um, it was absolutely at no point at that stage did did anyone suspect let be a foul play. And in fact, when it came to it, the consultant doctors at the Countess were um, all horrified, you know, down the line, I think maybe after um, maybe 10 or, or maybe maybe 11 or 12 crashes, and or and or deaths that um that they were even muttering the words you know could it be one of us that's um that's causing this so um yeah that at that very early stage it was just an observation that was made and th- these observations are quite often made because you know maybe that nurse knows a pattern that's forming or is um conscious and and aware of of something not quite right on the ward so that's that's good observation to kind of go to them and say hey are we you know understaffed or was there a particular issue over the last two and a half months that you can help us resolve uh if that makes sense it makes sense maybe there should be more than observations but it makes sense i think it's so rare though for a medical professional to be harming patients like so rare isn't it well, if it's the, only, so the only other case that i've heard of is is Beverly Allett and you know that was in 1991 when she was arrested for for the murder of the three babies and children in her care you know wouldn't wouldn't the argument be though that if it's so rare these things should be spotted a lot earlier because it's unusual rather than a commonplace 
Well, I don't know. Mate. My head might be too far into this case, but I just think the wall was pulled over everyone's eyes because no one could believe that it could be one of their own. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I actually read um I actually read an interview with a new- that a newspaper did with one of the nurses who can't be named again, but right up until the end of the trial, she was convinced of Letby's innocence. And she sat through the whole trial and she was like, There's no way I can defend her anymore. I like she worked with her day in, day out on some of these shifts and saw the way she was, but all of the behavior that that was brought to trial, all of the text messages and the notes and the like everything that she did, that nurse had no idea of. So fair enough. I just want to, there's two things that I want to highlight with baby F. Now, uh, first of all, like as I did with the IV air embolism, uh, I just wanted to highlight insulin poisoning and and how that uh, that can be like found and evidenced. So when someone is given too much insulin, hypoglycemia or low blood sugar can occur as a result. And when the blood sugar levels are too low, the body cannot function properly. It's easy to tell if someone has been given insulin like medically as opposed to their body making it by the levels of C-peptide. I don't know whether you remember me referencing there was low C-peptide levels in baby F. When insulin is made naturally, the same amount of C-peptide is made. But when insulin is administered into the body, similar levels of C-peptide are not present. So that was the first thing I wanted to note. The other thing I wanted to highlight in baby F's case is that the parents were not told about the insulin being administered to their baby until charges were confirmed. And obviously, family liaison officers would attend each parent uh, each family's home and kind of break the news to them that you know a nurse had been charged with a crime relating to the you know the care or the death of their child so you know kind of highlights that at the time that the babies were being treated in the hospital they weren't like medically the the hospital weren't like giving full disclosure to the parents which I guess in the moment when the baby's crashing you can kind of understand that doctors and nurses aren't going to take the parent to one side and say, hey, right now, this is happening to your child. But you'd imagine in the aftermath, you know, when the doctor's doing the rounds and and kind of like seeing the improvement in your baby that they go, right, do you know why this happened a couple of days ago? Well, we're going to sit down. We're going to tell you what we found and why that might have happened. You know, in, in, in some cases, and certainly with the insulin poisoning, it took the family be- being notified that Letby had been charged with the attempted murder to know like what exactly had happened to their baby, which is mad. Yeah, that, it does sound it does sound unusual. So baby G, a baby girl, and the most premature of all the babies in this investigation, was born 15 weeks early, and she weighed just over one pound, which is about 450 grams. That's tiny. She would fit in your hand, wouldn't she? Absolutely. Now, on the 7th of September, 100 days after she was born, the hospital was like making a big deal of this because it was absolutely amazing that she had survived such a premature birth. Letby did attempt to kill her and would continue to attempt her further two times over a three-week period. Now, baby G, who is now eight years of age at the time of this recording, is severely disabled as a result of Letby's attack. And Letby was found guilty on one count of attempted murder of baby G by delivering excess milk and air via her nasogastric tube. Baby I, a baby girl, 
was born at 27 weeks. So that's 13 weeks early. And a tiny two pounds, two ounces, just 99 grams. This murder, it was described in court as a persistent, calculated and cold-blooded one. On the 23rd of October 2015, just nine weeks after she was born, let me kill baby I on her fourth attempt after inserting air into the newborn's stomach. Her previous three attempts were noted twice for overfeeding baby I her milk and once for inserting air into her bloodstream. Letby actually went on to send a sympathy card to baby I's parents on the day of her funeral. Now, this is the only known card to have been sent by the nurse following the death of the baby on the ward. And after baby I's death, Letby was found crying on the unit, saying, it's always me when it happens, my babies. Letby was found guilty of murdering baby I by inserting air into her stomach. And do you think then, so this is different. So this, and obviously I wasn't there, and she may have been faking the emotions that she was feeling but to send a sympathy card and to be found crying why do you think this one was different than the other ones so i've tried not to add my own kind of speculation into the into the case today but if you if you ask i'm happy to to share my thoughts yes i would like um, to know with, thoughts. with some of the parents she bonded quite closely and obviously like nine weeks of baby eyes life were spent on the ward and Blackbeard like tried, well, four times to to take her life. So she'd spent a lot of time after all those crashes, probably with the parents, you know, at the crib side, helping them and, you know, talking to them a lot and nurturing them through, you know, how the baby was doing and things like that. So I think there's that sense of um, you know, I, I've I've built this bond with these these parents. With baby eyes parents as well, after the death of the child, she was searching a silly amount of times on Facebook for their names. Something that she did with most of her patients was um, look them up on Facebook. And the reason why she was able to remember the patient's names wasn't because she had this phenomenal memory, but a lot of the time she'd kept the notes, the medical notes, of the crashes and the deaths and she'd stored all these notes in her pockets of her nurse's uniform and brought them home with her so she had like paperwork essentially to to look back on and kind of be able to to like catch up if you like on the progress that the families were making once they'd left the ward that's interesting and for our listeners who know this case apologies if you think why is he asking such simple questions but I really stay away from cases like this normally. But a couple of questions then. So the the case notes, they were almost like trophies she was keeping for herself, would you say? They were, they were very careful not to like sensationalise it like that in court, but absolutely that's exactly what I thought. I thought, you know, some people take items of clothing from their victims, don't they? And others, locks of hair and things like that. But I felt like these medical notes were absolutely you know, her kind of moment to reflect uh, when she was in her own home privately. And and she she would go on to say on the stand, you know, when asked why she had all these notes at home, why, you know, why that why was that? And and she would say, Oh, it's it's an error, you know, it's just really hard not to take nurses' notes home. Like they just popped in my pocket and I didn't think twice. 
and you know had i have had access to a shredder i absolutely would have shredded them well on the police investigation and search of her house in july 2018 they found a shredder in her second bedroom you know so she absolutely could have shredded the document Um, now what i will say is my so my friend's auntie is a nurse and when i was doing some investigation into this case i asked her just a few questions she worked for temporary period at the countess of chester not when lucy letby was there but i asked her whether that 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 could happen you know do you just put mindlessly a piece of paper in your pocket and then walk home with it and she was like absolutely but you would just bring it in the next day and and throw it away you know or you would medically shred it you would you would get rid of it because you would know that 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 is not something you know that you want to um you want to leave with so from that perspective it it's a bit like suspect Okay, and my second question is, you said that she bonded with some of her parents more than the others uh, in reference to baby eye. Mm. Again, this, I'm sure you're going to talk about this later, but this indicates to me that she couldn't stop herself then. Actually, I don't talk about it. I, like I said, I've, I've, I've been quite... Um... I've been quite factual on the case today because it, it is such an emotive topic and there are going to be people with opinions, but seeing as though you ask, I'll, I'll share my own thoughts on it. So I believe that, yeah, she was in some instances wanting to be like an, an, a knight in shining armor with these parents and, you know, helping save their dying baby uh, or children. And in some cases, um, it was mentioned in court that she was doing it for the attention of doctors. Uh, one specific one um, who was not named, as with most uh, people giving evidence and and the victims in this case, um, it was suggested that she had fallen in love with him and that he was on call and present for some of the crashes where, you know, she would get that interaction with him and be able to, you know, after the death or the sudden crash of the child, be able to spend time with him after like processing what happened and you know having that that time spent so there was an element for her of a, a thrill um from that perspective i believe anyway okay thank you rachel okay so by the 23rd of october 2015 the same consultant who led the review in july dr brewery became increasingly concerned following the death of baby i so another staffing review found Letby was once again present at all of these unusual deaths and crashes on the ward. So when a when a baby dies or crashes, the doctors and nurses all get together and they they kind of have a debrief. You'll have probably seen if you've watched like medical programs and dramas. Um, you know they all get together and discuss what what went wrong, what could have been better, and you know what what will come of it in in future. Additional care, additional needs for the hospital or for the nursing staff, etc. At this time, another consultant, Dr. Ravi Jayram, alerted management to both his and Dr. Stephen Breary's concerns. So at this point, there is suspicion. And these doctors were very much concerned that Letby was present. And, you know, so that that kind of notice that had been looked at, at, at after four crashes and, and three deaths had now grown to suspicion. He was told, so Dr. J. Ram was firmly told not to make a fuss 
and Letby once again remained on the neonatal unit. By the 23rd of October 2015, the same consultant who led the review in July, a Dr. Brewery, became increasingly concerned following the death of baby I. Another staffing review found Letby was once again present at all of these unusual deaths and crashes on the ward. So now that observation that was made um, after the three deaths and, and one crash has turned into suspicion. So it's taken some time. Yeah, so it was two and a half months in July when he'd kind of made those observations, right? And now it's October. And there's very much that suspicion that's that's set now. At this time, another consultant, Dr. Ravi Jayram, alerted management to both his and Stephen Brewery's concerns. So not only is it Stephen Brewery that's flagged this up now, but there's another consultant. And um, and I think at the time, like Dr. Ravi Jayram has, has given multiple interviews, as has Dr. Stephen Brewery. And um they they both second guessed themselves before they was before they like blew the whistle kind of thing and were like are we absolutely sure about this? Because there's no going back. Like that was their opinion of like how catastrophic this could be. However, at the point that they went to senior management, they were told not to make a fuss and let me once again remained on the neonatal unit. Wow. So all of the anxiety that you you might imagine was going through, you know, their heads at that time and thinking, gosh, you know, we don't want to be right, but, we have to say something and to then just be told like, what, what you're talking about. Stop making a scene. Like it's and madness. A few things here. Firstly, when someone gets to be a consultant, that means that you've, you're seen as an expert, aren't you? you? You've gone past the general practitioner stage where you're actually an expert in your field. So for two separate consultants to say, this looks suspicious to then be told, I'm guessing maybe by admin staff, I don't know, but then to be told basically don't make it force. Yeah. To me it's two things. A wouldn't it not be better in this instance and every other instance to investigate everything. And if you're wrong, then if someone is truly innocent, especially in the medical field, they would surely not mind being investigated and be found to be innocent. So any instances where someone is doing things that they shouldn't do will get picked up. So surely it's better to investigate than not to investigate. And and secondly, if this you don't know how many times someone has been told, no, we're not going to investigate this or stop making a force. Because there may be other times where people have been not been doing anything and they've been told that. But you don't know until you investigate. So if that's the case. At what stage would someone think it's not worth me raising this mm. because I'm just going to get told don't make a fuss? No, absolutely. And luckily they kept on, you know, picking away at it. But you're absolutely right. that There are essentially like clerical staff in the senior management positions who have, you know, held positions potentially in the financial sector or, you know, the private sector where they've, you know, been making business-led decisions to make sure that that business, you know, stays afloat and runs effectively and and all of that stuff. And and you've got, like, medical professionals that are obviously making sure that patients stay alive. So two very different heads on shoulders there, right? Um, And you've got the medical professionals coming to the clerical staff, clerical management. That is the right word, clerical, isn't it? Yeah. Saying, um, you know, 
I've got concerns, I've got concerns. And those staff in those positions are like, yeah, no, like you need to be quiet. It's mad. Craziness. Baby L, a baby boy, and twin brother of baby M, was born seven weeks early, weighing a healthy three pounds at 1.3 kilograms. And I say healthy, like he was, it was a healthy three pounds for being seven weeks early, right? On the 9th of April, 2016, when baby L was just hours old, let B injected insulin into the dexterous bag attached to baby L. Tests would later find his insulin level was at the top of the scale that the, the equipment was capable of measuring. And once again, as with the attempted murder of baby F, baby L had very low C-peptide levels. Letby was found guilty of the attempted murder of baby L by insulin poisoning. Baby M, a baby boy and the twin brother of baby L, was born on the 9th of April, again, seven weeks early, weighing what doctors would also call a healthy three pounds. So both twins weighed the same 1.3 kilos or three pounds. He suffered an unexpected life-threatening collapse shortly after the insulin poisoning of his brother. His heart rate and breathing dropped dramatically and he came close to death as a result of being injected with air. He did survive but suffered brain damage as a result of this attack. Letby was again found guilty of the attempted murder of baby M by IV air embolism. Rachel, these... I mean, it's... Even when it's singular, I can't imagine the pain you feel losing or almost losing a child. But so many of these seem to be twins. So it's double the amount. Like you even when it's um even when they don't die, if they're seriously injured, even when if they're not seriously injured, that pain and stress and fear and anguish like it's just multiplied, doubled. I can't I can't imagine what those parents must have been feeling like. Don't forget, so we're on a neonatal ward here. Now, it is for babies who are born prematurely. And I appreciate uh, you don't have twins in your family, um, nor uh, probably do you know much about twins and their um, their kind of pattern uh, preterm, but um, they are highly likely to be born before their due date because there's two of them and the there are therefore you know potential complications with multiple births but no right? i get i get that um, I, mean, I do have twins in my family actually and and they were born oh, sorry uh, no it's okay they were born uh prematurely but i'm just saying it's just because it's more unlikely doesn't mean that the anguish isn't still there no. for the parents and if it's done if it's natural like it's because of the the, the early bear for complications then it can't be helped but these parents it's not natural is it? it it's i'm sure beforehand while well, i do have twins in the family i haven't given birth to twins but my wife hasn't but they're told beforehand this is likely to happen and brace yourselves but don't worry we're used to dealing with this so we you're in the best hands blah 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 so that's fine but then when it's even worse, when they're almost dying, extra anguish because they're like, were they told us that they could deal with this? Which is mm, what I meant. No. Sorry, sorry, Andrew. No, absolutely. And in fact, you know, even though these babies are brought onto the neonatal unit after birth, the doctors at the time of um, caring for these children aren't concerned like after birth you know i'm saying they're healthy weights they are 
they're doing well. They they require care. The parents can't just take them home the way that like a newborn normally would come home on day one or two after birth. But, you know, the doctors and nurses that are caring for these children are confident that they will leave that ward at some point in the near future and, you know, live a normal life. That they're just coming onto these wards to be monitored essentially and, and looked after until they, they reach full term or until they're suitable to go home. And in all of these cases, they're they're marked as unusual deaths or crashes because the doctors at birth could not see anything clinically wrong with the children. And, you know, then look look at what's happened. Yeah. On the 11th of May, 2016, Dr. Stephen Brewery, who you will recall had previously raised the alarm on two occasions relating to the increase in collapses and deaths on the neonatal unit at the Countess Chester Hospital, met with fellow consultants to raise further concerns about Letby. At this point, Dr. Brewery felt his concerns had been completely dismissed by the Trust, who was suggesting other NHS services at the hospital might be to blame for the spike in deaths. Now, I know we, we spoke about it briefly before, but... I can't imagine the bravery it would have taken him to come forward on three separate occasions to accuse now a fellow medical professional of foul play to then just be dismissed like completely by the by the board. Just must be heartbreaking. Yeah, I know. And the frustration he must have felt as well. Mm, absolutely. I, I can't imagine. Um, and as I say, like he's given multiple interviews after you know the the court case. Um, so definitely recommend if if you want to know more about that to uh, you you know search him on YouTube. Baby N, a baby boy, was born six weeks early at the beginning of June 2016, weighing three pounds eleven ounces. That's about one point four kilograms. Let me came on duty just six hours after Baby N was born, and in the early hours of the third of June. Let me try to kill him. The newborn baby had haemophilia, a condition known to cause severe bleeding. However, baby N had shown promising signs throughout the evening in the run-up to his collapse. Initially, he was injected with air on the 3rd of June. However, after successful resuscitation, Letby went on to attack him 12 days later on the 15th of June by thrusting his nasogastric tube into his throat, causing severe trauma and bleeding. Letby was found guilty of attempted murder of baby N, first by air embolism and secondly by thrusting the nasogastric tube into the throat. Baby O, a baby boy, was born on the 21st of June, just over six weeks early, weighing four pounds and seven ounces, 2.1 kilos, and was one of three identical triplets. He was conceived naturally, and I'm highlighting this specifically as it's extremely rare for triplets not only to share the same placenta, and that means therefore they are identical, but also to have been conceived naturally. Now, this occurs just one in 200 million births. Wow. Having just returned from a week's holiday in Ibiza on the 22nd of June, 2016, Letby came on shift on the 23rd of June. Baby O had been a perfect and healthy baby boy, despite his early arrival, and was due to go home when he collapsed unexpectedly on the 23rd. Post-mortem x-rays showed a higher than normal amount of gas in his body. Letby was found guilty of murdering baby O by inserting air via his nasogastric tube and trauma. And baby P, a baby boy, weighing just four pounds and nine ounces, died just 23 hours after his identical brother, baby O, was murdered. Letby pumped air into baby P's tiny stomach via his nasogastric tube 
while feeding him milk at 6 p.m. on the 23rd of June, just 13 minutes after his baby brother had died. Expert witness testimony stated that this excess air shattered the little boy's diaphragm and led to his death the following day on the 24th of June. However, in the hours leading up to this, doctors had believed he would make a full recovery. As they prepared him for his transfer to another hospital, Letby was heard saying to a fellow nurse, he's not leaving here alive, is he? Letby was found guilty of murdering baby P by air by via nasogastric tube. And just wanted to point out that during the trial, the nurse that she was heard saying that to was was a witness and had said how unusual it was for someone to come forward and be like saying something like that. Like he's not leaving here alive, is he? Like obviously nurses can see how grave situations are yeah. in, in in the medical setting, but they don't often make comments like that, especially when the doctors feel like it's it you know he's making um you know promising recovery it's almost like she's like setting the scene preparing people so when if it does happen they're like yeah okay maybe that was gonna happen anyway yeah and like i don't know when i when i heard that she'd said that i kind of just thought was she getting to that stage where it was more of a thrill for her to like that makes sense, like an escalation. Like, I've not mm. been caught so far. Let's push the boundaries. Yeah. Just getting comfortable, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Not long after the unexpected deaths of baby O and baby P, Dr. Stephen Brewery makes a call to the senior hospital manager requesting that Letby is removed from the unit. At this time, Dr. Brewery was assured that Letby was safe to work and would remain on the neonatal unit. However, the tipping point as it is now known in this case, comes just days later when Letby was notified just before her night shift was due to start on the 27th of June that she should not come in that evening. At the time, this sent Letby spiralling, with jurors hearing transcripts and messages shared with multiple peers as she panicked about the decision that had been made not to bring her on to shift. Shortly after, she was assigned administrative duties within the patient experience team. By September 2016, Letby had submitted a formal grievance about her removal from the unit and was trying to get her position on the ward reinstated. The hospital's chief executive agreed in January 2017 that Letby should be allowed to return to the hospital. However, when four paediatric consultants complained about this decision, they were accused of being on a manhunt against Letby and were forced to write an apology letter to her ahead of her return to work. And that... and. And two of those paediatric consultants were Dr. Breary and Dr. Ravi J. Ram. That's you know, great. So they had been they had been like raising the flags and alarms over that the last like thirteen or fifteen months by now, and um, and and still they're they're sat in a room being told you need to write a letter to her. You you guys are on on a manhunt. Um, the gang of four they were known as in trial. Um, you know, who had ganged up against Latby and were causing her all this grief and, and pain. That's crazy. Four medical experts and how what number would people go hang on? Like and also she's almost got caught. You think if she was of same mind, and obviously she isn't if she's done all this, but if she was of same mind, you'd be like, okay cut my losses here, I've almost been caught, let's 
quietly resign and move somewhere else. Maybe she got yeah. herself, herself, move somewhere else yeah. and, and try again. Again, it was something that, that's been like speculated on like why didn't she move on? Because that's often how when when you do hear of these rare cases of of medical professionals like doing something sinister, you, you hear of them like moving between hospitals and almost like vanishing with before anything comes up like formally and they're charged with anything and they just carry on behaving like they do. But I don't know. I think I think like my personal belief is that there was something in Letby that was like, I want to stay and see how much I can get away with. And um, I also think that she saw court as an opportunity to relive the crimes. And every time she got interviewed by police, she was so forthcoming with information. And I think she was curious as to see what they had on her, you know. Well, that's not unusual, is it? Criminals quite often get to a point where the court yeah. case is a final, like her eyes, final buzz and enjoyment to get to relive the that, crimes. Yeah, that's why I'd, I don't believe she wanted to leave. I, I think she wanted to stay and see, you know, how much she could, how further she could take it. And she, there's probably an element of her in, in disbelief at this stage. There were multiple diary entries and, again, just wanted to keep it to the facts about the victims today, but as we're on the point, like, you know, she wrote in her diary, like, and on post-it notes, I did this, I am evil, you know. Um, and the defence was suggesting that her mind had been poisoned by this gang of four who had told her, you know, you're responsible for these deaths, whatever, but their confession notes there, again, you know, her, her moment of saying out loud, you know, I'm responsible for this, and and then she goes on and behaves like normal when she goes to work the next day. Having that, she's had that release at home, you know, probably thinking no one will ever find this post-it note or this diary entry and not thought any more of it. That's crazy, isn't it, really? So following this incident in January 2017, when these four consultants were made to send apology letters to Letby, and the letters can be found online. Uh, they don't actually apologise to Letby for accusing her. They apologise for how they may have made her feel um, and that their primary concern was about the unexpected crashes and deaths of the children and that, that as a byproduct, they didn't intend for her to feel any harm or wrongdoing. So uh, it, it obviously quite cleverly worded, but they still had to go through that process, which is just wholly unfair. Um, but it, it took another few months for the police to become involved. And finally, two years after being removed from the neonatal unit, on the 3rd of July, as we said at the top of the episode, Lucy Letby was arrested for the first time. Well, just a few things, Rachel, before you move on. It sounds like an apology you make when you don't have to, when you don't want to make one. It's, I'm, I'm sorry you felt that way, rather than I'm yeah. sorry for what I did. And so she was on administrative like not leave but away from the ward for two years mm. for two yeah. years before the police got involved why did it take so long so obviously she she was able to commit the crimes for the 13 months that we've we've recorded there and then she was put on administrative duties while um they brought in 
external doctors to the countess to review the case notes and files and nothing was done and there were findings from those reviews of suspicion and unexplained um, deaths but ultimately the board wanted to reinstate Letby so uh, the consultants basically said we need to contact the police and there was there was a bit of back and forth between the board and the consultants and um eventually the police were were contacted so yeah from from june 2015 when it started to the police being contacted that took two years um but letby was only on administrative duties between that time for like nine months or something um but the intention was to put her back on the neonatal ward okay, that, makes, that makes sense i was just a bit confused but that makes sense so so we've covered the seven guilty verdicts for murder and the six guilty verdicts for attempted murder. But what about the other four babies featured in the court case? Baby H, Baby J, Baby K and Baby Q. Verdicts could not be reached on these four cases. So I've summarised some information about the babies, but I just want to be clear that while she was charged with the attempted murder of these four babies, no formal verdicts were reached. And therefore, there is now a question as to whether there will be a retrial for these four babies. But so far, at the time of this recording, nothing has been confirmed. So I think after the verdicts, they're given a certain amount of time, aren't they, to decide whether they they go for a retrial. So baby H was a baby girl born late September 2015, six weeks early, weighing five pounds and two ounces or 2.3 kilograms. Baby H appeared fine initially. However, 20 minutes after her birth, her breathing was laboured and she was placed on a ventilator immediately. She was monitored closely, and over the course of the next 40 hours, she suffered two collapses, where the levels of oxygen in her blood dropped dramatically. She ended up having three drains placed into her chest to try and draw trapped air out. Baby H's second collapse resulted in her having no heartbeat for 22 minutes. Baby H, at the time of writing, is now seven years old. No verdict was reached in the case of Baby H. Baby J, a baby girl born at the end of October 2015, was born eight weeks early. Baby J had suffered complications with a perforated bowel the day after she was born and was transferred to Alder Hay Children's Hospital for emergency surgery shortly after the discovery. Baby J then returned to the Countess of Chester Hospital for aftercare 10 days later and at five weeks old, her parents were preparing to bring her home on the 27th of November when she collapsed and suffered a seizure. Test results would later show her brain was starved of oxygen for a prolonged period of time, most likely have been due to smothering. But baby J finally got to go home in January 2016 and is, at the time of this recording, age seven and a very well little girl. So that's good to hear, isn't it? It is. And I think that, like, she had no heartbeat for 22 minutes. Wow. Oh, no, no, that was baby H, sorry. Um, No, it is. And I think that, like, she was starved of oxygen for a prolonged period of time. Like, how amazing is it that she has no, like, to date, any, like, implications because of that? Yeah, that's that's a bit of good news, at least. Yeah. Um. So no verdict was reached in the case of Baby J. Baby K, a baby girl, was born 15 weeks early and weighed just one pound and eight ounces. That's 816 grams at birth. Just two hours after she was born, at around 4am in the morning, her oxygen levels fell dangerously low as her breathing tube had become dislodged. Strangely, though, the alarms were not sounding on the ward. 
After receiving an oxygen via a mask, she was stabilised, but then suffered further issues with the breathing apparatus, so the, the tube kept on coming dislodged. Contact was made with Arrow Park Hospital, where she was then transferred for more specialist care. Baby Kay died at just three days old. It is recorded that she died of problems associated with her extreme prematurity, though, so it's important to note that Letby was never on trial charged with her murder. However, she was accused of the attempted murder, but no, no verdict was reached in the case of Baby Kay. And Baby Q, the 17th and final baby in this case, a baby boy, weighed just 4.5 pounds, over, just over two kilos, when he was born nine weeks early in June 2016. Baby Q suffered a sudden collapse where he vomited, his heart rate fell and his oxygen levels had dropped to life-threatening levels. The first nurse on scene had suction, had used suction to clear his airways, at which point completely clear fluid was being pumped out of his body. Later on, air was aspirated from Baby Q's tummy. He stabilised quickly and was placed on a ventilator and antibiotics were prescribed. He was moved to Alder Hay where he recovered quickly and was able to return home in full health. Baby Q, at the time of writing, is now seven years old. It was suggested this clear fluid the nurse removed was water or saline, which had likely been forced down his nasogastric tube with some air too. But no verdict was reached in the case of Baby Q. In the immediate aftermath following Letby's removal from the ward in July 2016, there were no more sudden collapses or deaths of babies at the Countess of Chester Hospital. And in fact, since 2016, and at the time of writing this, there's only been one death recorded on the neonatal ward at the Countess. Now, I will caveat that there, this may be possibly attributed to the fact that, as well as having let be removed from the ward, several safety measures were also introduced, and the ward also stopped taking very sick babies too, in an effort to prevent any further sudden collapses or deaths at the hospital. Because obviously they were under investigation by the police at that point. There's a pattern, There's a pattern there, though, isn't there, really? Absolutely. I mean, you um, you you hear about sometimes other cases where people may not actually be guilty, but this seems to be like quite clear cut because there's a there's a clear pattern not only of what happens to the babies, who interacts with the babies, and then suddenly such a sudden drop off afterwards. That if if it was down to just now, this is just my opinion here, people, by the way, but if it was down to just poor safety measures before the external doctors came in and investigated it, surely their findings would have been, it's down to these measures, A, B, C, and D, and if you change these, then it'd be fine, in which mm. case she would have never been charged with anything, would she? Because they'd be able to prove that it was down to those measures, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think during the trial... This information about, you know, there being no further deaths on the ward, that was all kept away from the press. But after the trial, a lot of what came out around the behaviours on the ward post, you know, her removal, it's quite astonishing. You know, the facts and the figures, like, obviously at that point she'd been found guilty, so people could start, like, knowing a little bit more and, and therefore not be biased one way or the other. But when you start looking at stuff like that, it it really adds colour to the case, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So the case against Letby took two years to bring to court. And to give you an idea of what the investigation team had to go through in order to prep for court, there were 5,900 pages of statements, 
34,177 pages of exhibits, 12,850 pages of audio transcript, and 246 witnesses either gave statements or attended court in Manchester during the trial. This is just the amount of evidence that made it to court, but the officers and detectives working the case would have had plenty more to work through over the two-year period, which didn't make the cut. And that, like, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? That is. Imagine a being a juror on that case on that trial, but b imagine being one of the police officers having to take that home with you every day for a few years and. I mean, some of the stuff, you know, like in every trial, every one of our listeners knows that there's some stuff which they find out which they, like 99% is true, but they can't prove anything. So it never gets put into evidence or anything ever gets used. And they have to find, they have to look at all this stuff. um, I don't envy these people at all. There was no smoking gun in this case, but that is stacked up evidence, right? That is enough, like, without the smoking gun to bring it to trial. Yeah, but what what I mean Um, is they may... There may have been other sorry, there may have been other babies where they're fairly certain she did it, but they just couldn't quite prove it. And it's yeah. It's no, interesting any- that point, and uh, I will go on to discuss that in a moment. But just wanted to hit pause there. You said imagine being a police officer investigating. So over 60 detectives were involved in the case, and each each kind of senior detective was given a baby uh, to review, and that that made sure that there was no cross-contamination between um, interviews with families and uh, I guess the case that built up against each baby, baby A to baby Q, uh, with each detective being able to look at their corridor of evidence with their police investigation team. And then they all came back together in a room and went through one by one. And so, so detective looking at the case of baby A said, okay, so this is what happened. The baby was well. Uh, Letby came on shift, the baby crashed, and you know, this 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 then happened and and um and and that kind of thing. And then somebody else would pipe up, oh, that that's exactly what happened in my case. And and there, you know, those detectives all coming together right at the end to to share their findings was when that that picture really started building. Because it wasn't just one detective that was like, oh, she clearly did it on that baby and that baby. So I'm just going to, you know, be of solid mind that she did it on the rest of them, if that makes sense. It does. Imagine that then, Rachel, like 60 different babies. And now every, not every single one. No, sorry. Sorry, not 60 different babies. 60 different detectives that were working together on on individual cases. So, so like, there might have been... Um, cases where, like, two or three detectives were working on the one baby does that oh, make sense yeah that makes sense but even so there would have been more than 17 if some of them yeah yeah, yeah no a- a- absolutely during her trial let be spent a total of 14 days in the witness box facing nearly 60 hours of questioning but all along she protested her innocence and tried to cast blame on other issues in the neonatal ward however the weakness in her defense was completely exposed when they failed to produce any medical expert or colleague, or family member, or friend who could testify on her behalf during this time. In fact, the only witness called by a legal team was a hospital plumber, Lorenzo Mansuti, who had worked at the Countess of Chester since before Letby was born. Lorenzo was only in the witness box for 25 minutes before Letby's barrister closed his case. 
It was actually Letby's defence that plumbing issues on the ward could have led to unhygienic conditions for the babies, resulting in the unexpected and or unexplained deaths or collapses in some of the children. Obviously, with other um, issues being attributable to other deaths, you know, like doctor-patient care, there not being enough nurses on the ward and, and things like that. Feels like a bit of a reach to me. Yeah, and to be honest, the, the Countess was found to have not been sufficiently staffed at times for the amount of babies that were on the neonatal ward. So instead of having one-to-one to, one to one care with very sick babies, a nurse might have had two-to-one care, like two babies to one nurse. Um, but, you know, that was obviously, you know, an, a finding and something that has since been addressed, um, but definitely not causing an unexpected crash or a death in the baby. After weeks and weeks of deliberation, in the, on the morning of the Friday the 18th of August 23, the jury of 11 returned their final verdicts. Letby was found guilty of the murders of seven babies and the attempted murders of six others between June 2015 and June 2016. She was found guilty of injecting infants with air, force-feeding some, and poisoning others with insulin. And on Monday, the 21st of August, she was handed 14 whole life orders. Lucy Letby will die behind bars, along with 71 other people across England and Wales, currently serving whole life sentences. And if that wasn't bad enough, Letby failed to attend court for both the final verdicts on the 18th of August and sentencing on the 21st, meaning that those family members impacted by her crimes had sat and listened to her lies over the 10-month court case, but were unable to share their emotional impact statements with the woman found guilty of killing or attempting to kill their children. As a side note, they will soon be bringing in new laws that see criminals having to attend their sentencing hearings across England and Wales. However, for this particular case, that just feels a little bit too little too late, as Letby has managed to escape listening to the horrific impact her actions had on those tiny helpless victims and their families. Although the, the judge did rule that uh, transcripts of the victim impact statements and his court summary will be shared with Letby in jail. As for um, facing sentencing, I fully agree. I fully agree that someone should be in court to face their sentence, what they receive. Um, the measures being put into place now, if they ever do become law, is another question because a lot of the times they say they do and they won't, it feels like a bit of a knee-jerk situation to me because this is not a new thing, is it? Quite often this happens and quite often the courts don't care. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure how far that will actually get, especially with a, an election coming at the end of this year or, or sorry, not at the end, towards the end of next year. If there's an election, all laws going through the system just get dropped, don't they? And they have to start again. So I'm not sure that would actually ever happen. But yeah, I agree that it should happen. Even if I, I don't understand why they can't just, she's in prison. Like if they want to move someone from one part of the prison to the other part of the prison and they refuse to move, they forcibly move them. Why couldn't they just mm. do the same thing? Forcibly. Well, she was in court. She was just under, yeah, she was in court. She was just under, like in the cells underneath the court. So um, even, even you're right, so. They but they yeah. don't forcibly remove, but this new law will, will see them use reasonable force to bring that person to court. And the, the concern in doing that is that, 
it will become all about the fuss that the defendant makes in court on the day. You know, they could be kicking and screaming or crying uncontrollably or, you know, making it all about them, which is is obviously a major red flag. So there needs to be there needs to be a fine balance between like forcing them to court, but also making sure that they abide by the rules of court and then aren't um then aren't sent, you know, away to the cell because they are what's the formal word for it? Of baby brains attacking me. You know when you um just you keep on interrupting the judge. Yeah, when you're disrupting the court. Or yeah, but there's um there is contempt of court. Contempt of court. Yeah. So um so you don't you don't want that to just be, you know, the 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 show, do you? At this point, Andrew, I'd usually read through the victim impact statements. However, given the amount of victims covered in this case, we will not be reading any victim impact statements today. Instead, we will read a statement from Janet Moore, family liaison officer coordinator at Cheshire Constabulary, who read the following out on the steps of Manchester Crown Court on the afternoon of Friday the 18th of August. Words cannot effectively explain how we are feeling at this moment in time. We are quite simply stunned. To lose a baby is a heartbreaking experience that no parent should ever have to go through. But to lose a baby or to have a baby harmed in these particular circumstances is unimaginable. Over the past seven to eight years, we've gone through a long, torturous and emotional journey. From losing our precious newborns and grieving their loss, seeing our children who survived, some of whom are still suffering today, to being told years later that their death or collapse might be suspicious, nothing can prepare you for that news. Today, justice has been served and the nurse who should have been caring for our babies has been found guilty of harming them. But this justice will not take away from the extreme hurt, anger and distress that we have all had to experience. Some families did not receive the verdict that they expected and therefore it is a bittersweet result. We are heartbroken, devastated, angry and feel numb. We may never truly know why this happened. So this has been season three, episode 22. So Andrew, dare I ask, what did you think of the case today? Yeah, exactly what I imagined it would be. Something I didn't enjoy, I didn't want to hear. Hopefully, my only hope is that good will come of this, that maybe it will prevent and stop this happening again in the future. That's the only thing you can hope for this, because there is no good or good to come from this, is there? Well, there is a public inquiry that will be taking place now. Um, so, you know, obviously looking into the NHS trust of the Lucy Letby case and, and how it was handled with those concerns. So you're absolutely right. Hopefully a small silver lining in this case will be that good can come from um, it and future medical professionals that aren't acting in the best interest of patients are, are caught and removed a lot earlier than was the case here. Uh, So today, given the nature of the crimes discussed, we've decided against wrapping up with our usual sit back, relax and picture the scene. Instead, we will pause for one minute silence out of respect for the little lives lost in the tragic case, the babies who will never be named. Please hug your loved ones a little tighter tonight.
Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.